You're listening to the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiast, presented by me, Daniel Actaus. Each episode, I dig deep into the world of cars with news, reviews, and other random motor talk. From engine cars to EVs, I'm here to entertain you whilst you're nipping through traffic or even whilst you're stuck at home trying to change your exhaust. But warning, I may ramble on about Fiat Pandas. You've been warned. Anyway, engage launch control. It's time for the Piston Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the third series of the Piston Podcast, the motoring podcast for the motoring enthusiast presented by me, Daniel Actorhouse. Let's talk about motorsport. Motorsport isn't something we massively ramble on about on the show and that's partly because me as the host, I'm, I don't know a massive deal about it. I know my little bits and bobs but I'm not an expert. So this week I am very happy to be joined by special guest Ian Soman. Hello. Hello Daniel, good to talk to you. Very good to talk to you too. How are you? I'm doing very well and very much looking to try to educate and inform you a little bit about motorsport and hopefully your listeners as well. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been looking forward to it. I've been looking forward to getting some motorsport training because I think I need it. <laughs> <laughs> so, right, uh, for the people... We'll see what you know. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. For the people that don't know who you are, could you explain to the listeners what you do and what your interests Okay, so I, I do have a, a, a day job which is not related to motorsport and not related to cars. I'm a uh, chartered accountant working for a, a top 10 accountancy firm, but I don't think that's why you've got me on and I don't think that's <laughs> what your listeners are, are interested in. Um, so aside from that, in what I laughably call my spare time, I am a motorsport commentator, uh, okay. as I have been for the thick end of two decades now. Wow. Um, commentating on club motor racing uh, around the UK and I've also over the last 20 or 25 years probably getting on for 25 years now been a contributor to Autosport and Motorsport News the two leading uh, motorsport publications uh, yeah. in the UK as well and I've got various other peripheral roles which we may or may not, not touch on as we, we go along uh, I work as a or volunteer I should say as a director for the 750 Motor Club, one of the UK's leading uh, national motor racing organisations. And I'm also a director of Racing Pride, which is yeah. an organisation, a movement that promotes LGBTQ plus inclusivity in motorsport as well. So uh, a few different hats that I wear, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very clear that you are a massive motorsport freak really if i can say that in the most polite way possible but how and about we've only just met <laughs> i know i know <laughs> how about cars in general like motorsport we know you really like that but cars in general what really gets you going well i i guess from a young age and that's a long time ago <laughs> um i i was very much into my cars and although it's a bit hazy for me now I was my parents always tell me that I was very good at identifying the cars on the roads in the, the 1980s of a very young age so we're, we're talking the Austin Princess Austin yeah, Allegro yeah. kind of era. Those, those would have been the cars that would have been on the roads I, as a kid as well I had the little matchbox uh, matchbox model of cars course, as well of course and yes. uh, in particular my favorite at that time was a Lello not yellow Maserati um, <laughs> because like most three-year-olds I, I couldn't say my my words properly and um, <laughs> but yes yeah, so, so, so I was interested in cars from a very very young age and I guess now my interest is more in motorsport than in cars I do still you know maintain 
uh, and interested in them. I've got, uh, you know, I'm probably more interested in most, but also uh, interested in sort of uh, sort of the, the peripheral things that that go around that, like roads and tra- transport policy and all of that kind of thing as well. So yeah, yeah. aside from that, but in terms of cars, I mean, at the moment I drive uh, a Seat Leon, which I've had for uh nine years just over nine years now it's a nice car and that, I, I that generation layer you have i do really like it it's, yeah it's a nice shape i think it's aged very well i have to say i yeah i, I was a big fan of it when i got it and i, th- I think it has aged well uh yeah. to be honest um and it is something that sadly i think i'm going to need to have to change at some point in the near future yeah. um again driven by transport policy because here in birmingham where i live um the the local council are going to be introducing a, a sort of low emission zone in birmingham city center where i ah, work or yeah, did work yeah. before the pandemic and sadly mine's a dirty diesel which they they're, they're not big fans of so i'll have to start paying to, to drive into birmingham with it so yeah a, a change is on the cards as and when i start driving back into the office in, in birmingham again yeah yeah i'm sure i think for these ultra low emission zones they can charge up to 12 pound a day i think for for most diesels which is it's a bit absurd isn't it really you, it's you can't really justify doing it yeah absolutely it's designed i guess to change people's behavior and i guess it's doing that because i am changing my behavior and looking to get a a car that will get me into the city center without having to pay that extra uh charge each time i go in i guess you know again the pandemic has changed a lot of things hasn't it and yeah yeah i guess that the one thing in my mind is that people like me probably won't be driving into city centers every day now they might be yeah. driving in once or twice a week and they might think well i can stand that cost one or two days a week might delay my uh, my changing the car but uh, but we'll see we'll see what i end up doing over the coming months i'll let you know yeah yeah please do do you have any ideas anything that catches your eye oh wow um it's it's really hard to really hard to know isn't it there's yeah. uh, a lot of so good many cars around mm. um I, I i'm thinking uh, some kind of self-charging hybrid might be a possibility, but yeah, not, yeah. not not completely uh, sold on any particular idea yet. It will yeah. probably be something hatchback-ish in terms of uh, its design, and it probably will be something a little bit different. Maybe I'll try not to try not to go with. Like, I mean, I do like yes. the. As you know, I did have Yaris's before, uh, yes. and obviously, you know, the, the Yaris is a car that's getting a lot of attention now with the, of course, uh, yeah. uh, the, the VR model. But then I think, as uh, as one of your recent guests was saying, it's so many people now getting on that particular bandwagon, it's kind of tempting to, to go off and do something a bit different. I know, it is a shame, it is a shame. And listeners, if you want to have a listen to that podcast, it's actually the episode before this one uh, with Alan Bradley. He's, he's a very, very nice guy, so you can go have a listen to that after this podcast obviously but yeah that's the problem with modern cars is there's so many about and maybe mm. some of them are quite vanilla i mean we've been looking for a car to to swap our renault scenic for for about three or four years now and it's just impossible it's so impossible there's so many options 
yeah, really hard to decide. I mean, I think one of the things that will colour my view is, uh, again, you see a lot of this out on social media now, as people going on, rightly, in my view, about cars where so many of the controls are via touchscreen and hidden away in menus, yeah, and that yeah. to me sounds ridiculous. I know. Um, so, so I'm going to, I'll probably try and buy, if I can, a car with buttons and switches and knobs to turn around and that kind of thing, rather well. than just something that's uh, all touchscreen. So if there is such a car still out there on the market, then uh, oh, yeah. maybe that, that will Fiat Panda. Fiat Panda's the car for you. Ah, yes. <laughs> I, I, it's strange you've never mentioned uh, an interest in Fiat Pandas before. Don't I know, I, I know, I know. It's uh, new of me there. Anyway, let's go back into motorsport, because what actually made you progress from cars in general to motorsport? Was there anything in particular? Yeah, I mean, I think it was driven really by where I grew up. Um, so I... As a child, lived in the village next door to Mallory Park, which is a yes. racetrack in Leicestershire. Great track. Uh, absolutely. And so I would go there from a young age uh, with my with my dad initially, and then I um, would uh, go up on my own as I got a little bit older, uh, walking distance. And yes. I think it's about 1987 it would have been so i would have been eight years old at that point in time that that, that was the the landmark year because that's when i started doing the typical motorsport anorak thing of writing the results in the programs after each yeah, race as yeah, the commentator yeah. read them out so that's and i've got in my cupboard over there this is not going to work on a podcast uh, a program <laughs> full of, of all of the programs from race meetings that i've ever been to of course uh, there's a lot of them and so yeah that, that's how it started got interested in motorsport that way and i did that and i was always interested in listening to the commentator of course and at mallory park one of the commentators that we heard a lot of was a, a guy called andrew wilkins or wilco uh, and he was really renowned for having a a trousers on fire style of commentary a bit like murray <laughs> walker so yes. he's very engaging uh, and he'd mis make mistakes like Murray Walker as well. But uh, he, he was a great character and yeah. someone who was quite inspiring to listen to. And I was able to, to commentate with him, you know, in, in more recent years before he retired from commentary. So uh, so that was great. So, yeah, I grew up listening to him. And then I actually started writing about motorsport before I started talking about it, Daniel. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, that was in the late 90s, probably when I was around about your kind of age actually that's when i started to get the interest in in doing that yeah and i contacted the uh, local newspaper uh the hinkley times <laughs> and i uh said um would you like someone to write reports of race meetings that go on at mallory park and they said yes because local newspapers loved and as far as i know still love getting any kind of copy for free because of it course, means that they, yeah. that they yeah. don't need to do quite so much work so yeah I, I did that and I, I started writing reports from race meetings at Mallory Park and then a couple of years after that uh, I responded to um, uh, an item in Motorsport News that said we're looking for new contributors to to join our, our sort of rotor of people that cover uh, motor racing and write about race meetings for for the magazine for the newspaper and my first ever race report was at Donington Park yeah. Uh, back in 1997, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, it was a bank holiday Monday, uh, and the paper goes to press on a Monday night. Uh, and this was the day's 
before email really i'm yeah. showing my age daniel you probably can't even <laughs> imagine something like this so, so i was told by the uh, editor a guy called charles bradley that basically my brief was to go to donington park this vintage sports car club facing some fast, fantastic old cars to make sure that nobody died and nobody yeah. did die on that occasion which was which That's was fortunate good. yes uh, yes it is uh, and i had to phone my reporting uh you know and literally read it out for them to type up and, and get into the paper yeah. uh two days later so i've wrote for motorsport news for, for many years uh and autosport as well and then in, uh, I'd always had, as I said, this idea about uh, commentary. It was something that interested me and an opportunity to commentate for the first time came along in late 2003 at Mallory Park. See, it all comes back to yeah, Mallory Park yeah. at the Plum Pudding meeting, which is the Boxing Day race meeting in Mallory Park. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, huge number of fans there. You know, they've all being at home on Christmas Day, stuff full of turkey and whatever else it is you consume on Christmas Day. A lot of wine. And uh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, that, that that was my very first commentary where at a race meeting where uh, they did a couple of car races as part of a mostly bike meeting. So I just did the car races there. Yeah. And then from 2004 onwards, I started to uh, commentate with the the 750 Motor Club. Yeah. Uh, on a regular basis and have uh, commentated for them ever since then and again that that was triggered off by a phone call from someone i knew a guy called uh tony coles another long established commentator, say, commentator saying uh i've heard that you're you're doing some commentary now ian uh, I, I was down to do this one but i, I can't do it i'm actually getting marshalling at spa wow. and uh, and uh, he said you know would you be able to take it on and so uh, i did and the rest is history, as I say. So yeah, I was uh, that was my first commentary back in two thousand and four, on a seven fifty motor uh, seven fifty motor club race meeting at Silverstone, first proper car meeting commentary. Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, I've been doing it what for sixteen or seventeen years since then. I can imagine how excited you probably were back in two thousand and four when you got to commentate for the first times. Right, seven fifty motor club. What is it all about? Okay, so 750 Motor Club uh, has been around even longer than I have. Right. It was founded back in 1939, so uh, 80th anniversary a couple of years ago now. Um, if you know your history, Daniel, as I'm sure you do, 1939 <laughs> probably wasn't the best time to be yeah, starting I can imagine. A, a, I can imagine. a motor club. Yes. No, there was something else going on around <laughs> about that time. It was what? a original. Yeah. It was originally set up um, for what was described in the language of the time as being for the impecunious motorsport enthusiast or motoring enthusiast, which basically meant people with not that much money, but who liked cars. Yes. Uh, and it was based around uh, the Austin 7, a classic car of the early part of the uh, 20th century. Uh, and that had an engine capacity of 747cc. So it was known as the 750 Motor Club. Yeah. So that's how it was all got started. Um, then in 1949, after the Second World War, which we've obliquely referred, um, the, 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 the sort of first uh, sort of established racing formula uh, was started. And that was called 750 Formula. Don't know where they got the idea from. Uh, and that was basically for sports racing cars um, and developments of the Austin 7, in many cases, uh, equipped with the 747 the 750cc engine yes, yeah. uh, and that, that was created in 1949 uh, and that's still going now so it's uh, been uh, as a formula been going for more than 70 years 
longer even than the Formula One World Championship. So that's quite something. Yeah. Um, and, and over the years, different categories and different uh, uh, formula have been added. Uh, and to the point where here we are in 2021, not far away from the start of the season. And there's probably roughly 20 different categories that the 750 Motor Club caters for. And that is a sort of full range from um, sports cars, yeah. uh, saloon cars, hatchbacks, uh, single seaters as well. Uh, there's representation there for uh, endurance racing. Uh, the Club Enduro Championship has massive entries for races that are typically two hours long and a really nice mix of cars in that uh, and then there's the historic angle as well so we have something that's called historic 750 formula now which sort of caters for the pre-war austin sevens and it caters for the type of cars that raced in the early days of the 750 formula so 750 formula itself still runs not with a 750cc uh, engine now as i've told you already that now runs yes. with a 1108cc fiat engine out of the first generation panda of course uh Indeed. Uh, and then this historic 750 formula, which uh, runs for cars, for older cars or continuation cars, if you like, around the original spirit of the regulations. Uh, but they typically run either the old Austin 7 engine or the Reliant 850cc engine, which uh, 750 formula ran with for, for many years up until about 15 years ago. Yeah, yeah. I did actually just beforehand have a look at the uh, 750 Motor Club website, and I just think it's great because it gives most people that opportunity to do something motorsport related and i think that is great because i think nowadays it's probably harder to do so it's nice to have clubs like that that's still around definitely definitely, definitely yeah absolutely and the you know one of the key values of the 750 motor club is that it is at the affordable end of yeah, the yeah. motorsport spectrum don't be under any illusions motorsport is not a cheap thing to get into, Um, but it's all relative. Um, It is possible for a relatively modest amount of money um, to to go racing. Uh, And there are some championships that are sort of very well, uh, you know, designed and equipped to do that. So if you were to do something like our classic stock hatch championship, which is fantastic. If you do get a chance to watch any of the YouTube videos, we'll talk a bit more about the live streaming later on, maybe. Yeah. But do search out classic stock hatch on, on YouTube. There's been some great races on there. And that caters for effectively sort of uh, late 80s, early 90s hot hatches. So you've got uh, Peugeot 205s, Fiesta XR2 and XR2i. You've got Novas, you've got Citroen AX. Um, quite a nice multi-manufacturer, uh, multi-model grid, but really evenly matched. Cars are really turned well turned out. The racing's great. Some really top drivers in there. Yeah. But it is something that you can do at a relatively affordable budget. Ha- you know, I guess like all of these things, these classics from the 80s and 90s, their value probably goes up over time. They could yeah. be scarcer, but <laughs> it's still at the, the cheaper end of, of things that you can do. If you want to spend a lot more money in race with the 750 Motors Club, then you can do. There's uh, championships like bike sports where you can get the latest Radical and, and go and race in that or a sort of GT4 type car even and go and race in, in club enduro. So there is something for everyone really yeah. but there's definitely opportunities there if you are interested in going racing maybe taking a step up from track days if that's something that you've done before uh, to go racing in something that won't necessarily break the bank. 
Well, it's definitely definitely really good to have that variety there. I think it's great. In terms of events in general, what types of uh, racing events do you commentate for? Is it is it just on track or is it maybe off-road or anything like that? What do you do? Mostly circuit racing that I do. Um, so I commentate a lot, as I've said, with the 750 Motor Club. Yes. And also, again this year, I'll be making regular trips down to Castle Coombe in Wiltshire. Uh, and a fantastic and very friendly circuit down there to race at race meetings organised by the Castle Coombe Racing Club. And I know they'll be looking forward to getting a situation where they can get some of their big crowds back. They have some fantastic yeah, crowds yeah. there. So look forward to that later in the year. Um, over the years, I've commentated on a, on a few different things. Uh, so I've commentated on on Rallycross. I've done uh, both uh, sort of TV uh, highlights coverage of rallycross and of rallycross it's mad yeah, absolutely mad. Uh, no it's a it's something i've you know i hadn't seen a lot of before commentating on it to be honest i've not seen a lot of it since but it is very fast paced isn't it uh, yeah, and very exciting definitely. uh and some really quite interesting cars and, and characters involved in that as well so yeah done a little bit of rallycross done a few speed events as well so sprints at mallory park so that's where you've got a car doing effectively a lap of Mallory from a stunning start yeah. to uh, to the end of the lap. Um, so that's quite a different thing to have to commentate on. Yeah. You've not got the cut and thrust of the racing to describe. You've uh, you've got a car doing a lap that takes about a minute or so, and uh, it's circulating on its own. So, yeah. so that's, that's something a bit different. Um, I would have, as I say, I've done uh, fantastic events as well in the past. I've been fortunate enough to commentate on the... Uh, Walt Hayes Trophy at Silverstone a number of years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the big end of season events in Formula Ford 1600, one of the real blue ribboned events in the uh, in UK motorsport. So that was a great pleasure. And that's I've done incredible. TV commentary, yeah. yeah, TV commentary on Formula Ford festivals as well. So yeah, I've done lots of um, post-produced TV stuff over the years, uh, and a lot of what we do now with 750 Motor Club, as well as commentating on the PA at the circuits for the benefit of the people. Who are there spectating when they're allowed to do so yeah. um i also do uh, a lot of it now goes out on the live stream as well which you can see on youtube or facebook uh and the 750 Club website of course 750mc.co.uk yeah, yeah. uh and that's produced by uh, alpha live and and that's a fantastic innovation that's come along in the in the last few years uh and really adds something to the the racing scene yeah yeah it's good because i think it just it allows everybody even if you're not there to have a look what's going on it's just really great in in general do you have any main highlights from the motoring industry going to all of these races seeing them commentating any highlights that's an interesting question i mean yeah. there's been lo lots of highlights down the years i think in commentating you get quite invested with people and enjoying their success especially when they've had some adversity um yeah. you know when when the good guy wins that that that's always good i remember a uh what 18 months or so now there was uh uh i was commentating at snetterson at the end of the season one of the events that was uh that was uh live streamed i think and uh the f1000 category which is for uh jedi motorcycle engined uh single seaters yeah. uh, and a lad called rob wellham uh from suffolk he'd had a really wretched season he'd got so much pace but he had such bad luck with uh accidents and breakdowns and, and that kind of thing 
uh, so it's his local circuit at Slatton. It's really nice to be able to commentate on him winning yeah, there because yeah, yeah. uh, it, it's something that meant so much to him. So things like that are really nice. Um, but as I say, I've had had the opportunity to to, to you know commentate on some many great races over the years and uh, many great events. Uh, and you know, in in my time doing um, you know various other roles, I've had good experiences as well. So back in two thousand and three, I uh, I was doing a part season of PR uh, work for the British Formula 3 and British GT Championships. Right. And uh, that, that was good because that's obviously quite high profile and the, there was a, a real good crop of drivers going through uh, through F3 that year, including uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. Obviously went on to race in Formula 1. Uh, yeah. Controversial incident at the Singapore Grand Prix uh, a number of years ago uh, now. Um, but yep, yeah, so got the chance to, to speak to him and his dad as well, who came along to some of the race meetings. He obviously yeah. was a, a multiple world champion in his own right. So, uh, yeah, there's been lo- lots of highlights and it, it's, you know, but I think what I really enjoy is the, the down to earth club racing and enjoying the success that it's lovely that have worked hard for it. It is lovely. That's one of the reasons I prefer, I think, smaller events to the bigger events. I would always every day of the week choose to go to maybe small club races at Mallory Park than an F1 race at Silverstone. I just think it's it's a completely different atmosphere, definitely. Yeah, and I, I think the, you know, the atmosphere, as you say, is much better. I think the entertainment value is much better as well. Yeah, I, I yeah. get a bit perplexed, if I'm honest with you, about people who say they're Formula One fans and they, they, they will only ever watch or show an interest in Formula One but not motorsport more widely. Um, yeah. I just find that a little bit odd. I know. Um, but 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 maybe that's just me. I, I think there's so much more to motorsport, both on you know at, on the international stage yeah. and on the UK stage as well. And there's much more to be enjoyed if you uh, if you scratch the surface of it. I'm sure this is already obvious already. But what is your opinion on modern day F1? I think it's it's in an interesting place at the moment. Yeah. Um, you know, we, 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 as we record this, we're sort of going through the season of, uh, of team launches yes. for the 2021 season. And uh, one of the things that's that's relevant is the you know in what direction does this pinnacle of motorsport go in terms of engine regulations? Because yeah, the yeah. world is only going in. In, in one direction that is away from the internal combustion engine yeah we're seeing manufacturers day by day almost say you know make a commitment to go electric only or, or whatever but formula one is not necessarily going down that route the same one formula e covers off yeah, the yeah. Uh, ele- electric engines and and i guess there's a question there as to how formula one can stay relevant I know. and in particular to the manufacturers it, it if it's doing something that isn't relevant to their road cars, which won't have internal combustion engines in a few years' time, as it would seem, why are they going to be interested in Formula 1? So it's at a crossroads, as I see it. Um, Obviously, we've got a lot of dominance, as we've had for for many years now with Mercedes and and, and Lewis Hamilton in particular. I'm not convinced that that's good for the sport. Um, I think, you know, more competition would have you know would would give much better entertainment yeah i know yeah. that i know that formula one are looking at doing changes in format of their race weekend um looking at possibly trying some sprint races on a saturday ahead of the uh, the main event on the sunday a small number of races and that's got mixed opinion i quite like the idea personally i i, I i'd be a fan if 
you know, they did do something a bit different, had perhaps a few different formats that they rotated during the course of the season. But I think purists would be uh, against yeah. me on that one. Um, so, yeah, there's a, a few interesting things going on in Formula One at the moment. And the other thing for me is, you know, I did, you know, grow up as well as going to Mallory Park. I did grow up watching the Grand Prix on a, on a Sunday afternoon on, on yeah, the TV. Yeah. Uh, with Murray commentating, and it was an event at that point in time. It was something that was special. There were 16 of them during the year and, and no more than that. And now we're creeping up well into the 20s. It's completely so, changed, completely changed. Yeah, there's, my view is it, you can't have too much of a good thing. And yeah. I, I, I think they've gone beyond saturation point in terms of the number of races that they want to have, but they will work out for themselves as sort of from a commercial point of view. Um you know what what makes most money if, if they go too far over that tipping point they might realize well actually this isn't generating the income that we need we need to rein back they've obviously not quite got there yet yeah it's an interesting sport i think it's leaning a bit too politically now but i think maybe in the years to come probably long distance we'll see maybe the the, the slow fall of formula one and maybe the rise of stuff like formula e and i know there's um there's an off-road electric buggy championship starting this year yeah yeah extreme, extreme extreme e extreme e yeah. that's it yeah yeah i think we'll see the rise of them types of events over the years to come because i think these these car brands that start to make electric cars for the people if they're still doing petrol powered race cars it's a bit of a bad image on the brand isn't it really yeah absolutely right i think um i think people will be increasingly look to see what the relevance is uh, to the to the to road cars be increasingly focused on sustainability and uh, environmental issues i think you know th- things like formula e, that in its own right is at an interesting point because um you know it's got a lot of momentum over the past few years yeah. it's never really broken out of its niche and possibly now is about the time that it should have been doing that but it, you know, it, it's actually in a position where it's almost losing manufacturers as well now because some of the manufacturers are getting back on board with sports car um, programs. Um, yeah. So Formula E is not perhaps in the position they would like it to be right now. And I didn't see too much of the Formula E racing from Saudi Arabia over the weekend, uh, just a few brief moments of it. But from what I could gather, again, they had a lot of issues with penalties being applied post-race for obscure technical infringements and i don't think that does good much good for the sport i think you know for something that is so much built around entertainment you want to know what the result is when you turn off your telly uh and yeah i think they're shooting themselves in the foot a little bit there at the minute definitely i completely agree with you completely agree i don't really watch much f1 as it is i i every now and then i'll probably tune in because we have sky sports because my brother's football mad I don't know why, but anyway, we'll move away from that. I I did I, I remember actually tuning into the Bahrain Grand Prix um, at the end of the last season last year, and it was it was a bit of a coincidence because I tuned in about thirty seconds before Romain Grosjean's hefty shunt into mm. the wall, and that was that was an in- incredibly scary moment for F1. Really, it was yeah, just it was a sight, definitely a sight. It was. It was, um, you know, quite a concerning accident, and it's yeah. interesting the response to it because, you, you know, you could 
sit at that, sit and look back at that and think, well, that's just a freak accident. It's just one of those things you could never predict yeah. that something would happen exactly like that. And that's what it is. But Formula One being what it is, is that accident, you know, is scrutinized and is investigated in such great detail. And it's what they can learn, what they can continue to do to improve safety in terms yeah. of the car design and the halo which is a fairly recent innovation in the last three years or so yeah probably saved Rojan's life oh absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. split opinion when it you know it came out or oh, looks a bit ugly and it, it doesn't look great but yeah. it's saved at least one life probably more lives in across different categories already Definitely. and they'll look at things about the, the barriers as well is there something to learn there about how the barriers are constructed and you know formula one does continue to learn it continues to innovate and that is the you know uh, that, that's really important it, they don't just rest on their laurels so, so there, there is positives to it like that and of course it has always evolved ever since the 1970s really when jackie stewart was the the big champion in driving safety changes yeah, in formula yeah. one because frankly he was losing too many of his mates who sadly uh, didn't survive accidents yeah. in the way that grosjean was able to last year yeah i did i learned a lot uh, a couple of months ago i watched a documentary about senna's death and about the safety the the stuff that was done after that and a lot has been done and motorsport has come a long way since those those types of events jim clark as well just everything's changing and i think there's still stuff to be changed to make racing even safer which i don't know people might argue that really safe racing might cause for maybe boring racing but i don't know it, it's a split opinion definitely but yeah 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 i think you're right daniel i think you know that from the point of view of um the competitors i don't believe that anyone competes in motorsport yeah. because of the the risk per se um no one wants to get hurt or worse yeah. um that they, they dig in it for the thrill of racing wheel to wheel without a doubt yeah. i think some people who follow motorsport who watch it on tv or go along to events and go off with their own cameras and, and film what's going on as well there is a little bit of they quite like seeing the accidents. They like seeing the spins and capturing those and posting yeah. those on YouTube and that kind of thing. And while I, I, I get that, I, I get that it can be spectacular. It's not something that really drives me. It's not something that's ever driven me to be interested in motorsport. And, you know, it, you know, it is important that these safety changes that are learned in F1 do cascade down to the, the amateur level. And they do. You know, there's been huge strides in safety at... Uh, circuits since I started racing, or oh, not yeah. racing, started commentating and watching yeah, racing yeah. 30, uh, 30 odd years ago. Um, and, and that's only only for the best, only for the best. Yeah, well, I can't deny that it's sometimes the eventful things in motorsport can be quite thrilling to watch. Obviously not the really serious ones, they're, they're quite horrible, but I think the, mm. the spins and stuff like that are really quite fun to watch. I put a picture on social media, you probably remember this, a couple of weeks ago, of the smashed up racing 2CV. And yes. that, that was an event at Mallory Park. Me and my granddad went along in his 2CV. And it was forecast to rain, and we were like, "Oh, great! That's going to be that's going to be interesting." Obviously, really skinny tires. They're quite mad racing two CVs. Probably my favourite racing car, to be honest. They're they're funny. Yeah. But the rain started, and cars started spinning everywhere, and it's like, "Oh my word!" There's so much going on, and it's very entertaining to watch as long as nobody gets hurt, obviously. But yeah, well, I've, and and that's things that fine line. I agree with you. Yeah, T yeah. CVs are good to watch, and uh, I was 
fortunate, I guess, to be present for a moment of history when they had the first ever yeah, 2CV yeah. race in the UK more than three decades ago now. Yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, they were treated, I guess, as a a novelty. And they yeah. still are. They yeah. still are. You can't take them um, seriously. Uh, no. Did you, have you ever seen on YouTube the, the video, of, some video from that first 2CV race at Mallory Park 30 odd years ago? Have you seen I that? Might, I might have. I might have. Well, have, have a look at look for it again because yeah, part, part of what, what makes that video is the the reaction of the crowd who are just laughing basically <laughs> at the sight of uh, of two CVs <laughs> trying to negotiate the hairpin at Mallory Park at ridiculous angles. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh, entertaining to watch, definitely. Right. Race tracks. Do you have any favourites? Any least favourites at all? Well, I'm going to say Mallory Park for the favourite because it is yeah. the one where I where I grew up. Um, and I think even if I, it wasn't close to my heart for that reason, I think it would be up there anyway, because yeah. the the benefit of it, if people have never been to Mallory Park, is that from much of the circuit, you get a view of 75, 80% of the track, um, yeah. if not I more. That. I love that. Uh, yeah. And because I grew up there, and I'd been to dozens and dozens of race meetings at Mallory Park before I went to any other circuit. I always found it, and I probably still do, find it a bit odd when you go to a track where you can't do that. And yeah. uh, probably about, what, 1994 it was for the Autumn Gold Cup. I went to Silverstone with my uh, with my family. My dad had got some uh, tickets from a, the local Rover dealer, I think it was, Yeah. Um, to, to go to Silverstone to watch that meeting. It was a horrible day in October. It, the rain was pouring down all day. And we sat in the grandstand at Woodcote Corner. The race was on the Grand Prix circuit. So a long lap. Yeah. It was raining, a longer lap. And, you know, there's a mix of categories. The minis were racing, though, and, you know, they were taking more than two minutes to do a lap. And we saw them for maybe 15 seconds, once every couple of minutes. What was it, Mallory Park? You can see the whole lap pretty much in, in one go. And I, yeah, that was yeah. just completely alien to me. And I felt deeply unsatisfied by it. So, anyway, to go back to your question, yeah. uh, Mallory Park is up there as the favourite, one of the favourites. I think other ones I enjoy Castlecombe as well because it's just got such a great family atmosphere down yeah. there. Um, fantastic racing, homegrown local championships as well are really strong down there for Formula Ford 1600s and GTs and saloons and that series for hot hatches as well. So if you're ever down that way, do, do, do try and get along. Definitely. Uh, so that's great. And, uh, you know, the picturesque circuits as well. So we'll Alton include Park Angle. Is a big one. Well, yeah, I was going to come to Alton Park. Let's do Alton yeah, Park. Yeah, that, That's the, you know, the, the, I know that's your local track. Woodland <laughs> setting, the parkland setting is just picturesque. You've got the gradient changes. A racetrack is always much better for having gradient changes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, Alton Park these days is uh, is maintained in great shape. Jonathan Palmer and yeah. Motorsport Vision have done a, done a great job there. So that's one of the favourites. Uh, I'll add to that. Um, another of the most vision circuits, which is um, Cadwell Park Great. over in Lincolnshire, yeah. the, the mini Nürburgring, yeah. as it's known. <laughs> uh, and again, parkland type circuit, very tight, twisty, narrow. You've got the woodland section, which is spectacular. You've got the yeah. mountain where the quickest cars can uh, can get all four wheels off the ground um, and some great photos of, of that happening. Um, so that's up there as well. I enjoy commentating there, and, and Paul Woodford, and who's the circuit manager there, and this team do a great job, yeah, uh, running that circuit. Uh, and the last one I will start is Anglesey, uh, up on the, yeah, the North yeah, Wales yeah. coast. 
um, where you know the, the iconic photo is the cars coming up uh, to uh, what's the corner called? It's called Rocket Corner, yeah. uh, and uh, yeah, because you've got the basically you've got the Irish Sea in the background and the snow, the mountains of Snowdonia here in the background as, lovely, as they lovely. go up the hill there. So so that's a great one. I, I enjoy going up there. Looking forward to getting back there again uh, this summer. Yeah. Um, you know it's right on the coast so it's the, the, the only circuit we can go to the beach straight after a race meeting yeah i'm glad you mentioned those tracks because i completely agree with you i think that the maybe lesser known smaller windier tracks are just such fun and I'm, I'm i'm very lucky i think to be living fairly local to alton park it's about half an hour away and uh we went last year in august when COVID restrictions were slowly lifted a bit to mm-hmm. see some motorbike racing, and that was good fun, yeah. really good fun. Motorbike racing is is also one of my favourites because it's it's so bonkers, you know, wheeling around the corners. It's <laughs> it's crazy, really crazy. It, it is, and, you know, given that I grew up at Mallory Park, which had just as many bike meetings, if not more bike race meetings than car race yeah, meetings, yeah. Why, why did I not get involved in bike racing? I guess that was just the influence of my... My dad, he was always more the four-wheel stuff that he was interested in. Therefore, I got interested in as well. Yeah. Have you know done, done, commentated on one or two bike races over the years, and it's tricky because it's hard to get beyond calling the riders drivers. Because yes, they're, yeah, they're, they're on bikes, not in I cars. Can uh, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, I was annoyed earlier in January because, um, as a Christmas present, um, we had booked um, to drive our Panda 100 HP around Alton Park because they had a drive day. And I think that yeah. the, the main sort of achievement was just to go around the track and have a look what it was like and stuff like that. It's not track day or anything like that. And I was <laughs> really looking forward to it. The event was, I think, on the Saturday and I think the Tuesday before the lockdown three was announced. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because I was looking <laughs> forward to that. But, but... The replacement dates have been announced with an email oh. through, so I think that's I think it's around May time. I think. Okay. So I'm looking forward to that a lot, and I'll be filming whatever I can that day because. Well, I should look fun. forward to seeing that. I'm yeah, sure you'll, yeah, yeah. you'll have you'll have you'll have a great day, as you say. You've you've been to Alton Park, you know the circuit, and yeah, yeah. it will be a, a great chance to uh, to to drive that uh, lap and experience the circuit. It's always a great thing to do. Hundred percent, and. Yeah, one one day I'd like to return to Mallory Park as well because it is it is great, really great. And as you say, you can see almost all around the track, which you don't get at like Spa, for example. My auntie and my uncle went to CF1 a few years mm-hmm. back at Spa, and they were sat au rouge, which is great. But yeah, you only absolutely. see you only see the cars fly by for five or ten yeah. seconds, and then that's it; they're gone. You don't know what's going around. What you don't know what's going on around the corner, which. I don't know. It's not very appealing to me in a way. Uh, and the other, the other nice thing about going to Mallory Park, but to club racing generally rather than the Formula One, is that you, you're not limited, yeah. you know, to one part of the circuit. You, yeah, you can yeah, yeah. you can see all of the circuit, but you can also just walk around yeah. and you know have a different vantage point for every race, which is a really interesting thing to do as well. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely encourage people to to do that and try that, not just at Mallory Park, but other, at other circuits yeah, yeah. as well. I know this about Mallory Park, but I know a lot of the time you can actually wander through the pitch to see what's going on, which I think is lovely because it all adds to the community spirit that they have at Mallory. It's wonderful, really wonderful. Yeah, definitely. And it's a shame. I mean, that, that's been one of the things, understandably, with COVID restrictions last yeah. year was slightly kiboshed, but I'm sure that will come back. And, and yeah, I think the chance, you know, to to get 
uh, up close to the cars, have a look into the bonnet, see what's being done, yeah. see what work's being done, have a chat to the drivers who are usually fairly friendly and happy to talk to you about their pride and joy. That's yeah, so something that re- you know really, really adds to it. And, I think it's uh, one of the highlights, isn't recommend. it? One of the highlights. Mm, absolutely. Now, let's move on to talking about Racing Pride. What is it all about? Yep. So Racing Pride is uh, a movement that was founded a couple of years ago yeah. uh, by two friends of mine, Richard Morris and Christopher Sharp. Uh, and it's about uh, promoting inclusivity for LGBTQ plus people in motorsports. Yeah. Uh, and uh, obviously a subject very close to the hearts of both Christopher and uh, and Richard, inspired, I guess, by the Rainbow Laces campaign in football, trying to do something similar to for motorsport. And it's something that's gained uh, a lot of interest uh, and a lot of support over the two years since, uh, since they founded it. I've been involved almost uh, since the start and I'm proud to be. Uh, sort of uh, one of the, the the directors of the of the organisation supporting yeah. Richard and, and Christopher in running it. Um, got some fantastic ambassadors. Not only Richard, who's racing this year in the Brit Car uh, Endurance Championship in Praga. That's a spectacular car. <laughs> um, but also, uh, but also the likes of uh, Abby Eaton and Sarah Moore, yes, who yes. race in the W Series. And Charlie Martin, who's also racing in Brick Car this year, uh, in in a Praga as well, another Praga, and uh, she has the ambition of being the first uh, transgender competitor to race at Le Mans uh, in the future. Fantastic! Uh, so yeah, there's lo- lots of ambassadors, and it really is about making people who are from the LGBTQ plus community um, really find a home and feel comfortable in motorsport. There are a lot of people in that community already in motorsport. But some people might find it a little bit daunting to, to get involved. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully the, the role models that I've just set out really help people to uh, uh, to be comfortable being their authentic self in, in motorsport. And uh, also as well, it's, I guess, a little bit about educating and supporting people who are uh, already, uh, already in motorsport who... Uh, might want to, to learn more about that and how they can be a good ally to LGBTQ plus people because some people yeah. might just feel a bit confused about actually what the right things to do and to say are uh, and you know don't you know don't want to say the wrong things. It's about helping and supporting people there. So uh, Racing Pride has partnered with the likes of um, the 750 Motor Club, BRSEC, and British Automobile Racing Club, two of the other big uh, race organisations. And there'll be some more partnerships that will be uh, announced in due course, which uh, which are quite exciting as well. Yeah, I I think it's lovely because I think there were, it's so important to have that wider variety of people in motorsport because in the past especially it's always been quite a male focused thing, hasn't it? Really, motorsport. So I think it's it's yeah. great to see not only female racing drivers but racing drivers part of the LGBTQ plus community. I think it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Let's be honest. There is no getting away from you know the fact that if you go into a motor racing paddock, yeah, anywhere around the UK, it's going to be male dominated. Uh, it's going to be uh, dominated by white people, bluntly, yeah. and yeah, a bit harder to tell whether it's dominated by uh, by people who are straight or not. But um, there's, there's certainly underrepresentation of, of certain communities, and I know that actually Motorsport UK, who are the governing body in the UK, um, you know, are putting you know steps in place to really focus on equality and diversity and inclusion 
yeah yeah in much but of all of those perhaps underrepresented communities be that on gender race sexuality or whatever yeah yeah well, it's great and slowly bringing this podcast to an end i was searching up on youtube your name um because i wanted to see some of the events you commentated at and i stumbled across something called the ian soman trophy what was ah. that what was that <laughs> Uh, well, that came out of my 30th birthday celebrations. Yeah. Uh, when uh, So that's a decade or so ago now. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so that, that came out of that. And I decided to have some a karting event. Got a few friends, both from you know, racing friends and non-racing friends. And we, we got together. And uh, someone, I think it was Matt Rivett, who's a Formula Ford champion, he said, oh, we should have the Ian Soman Trophy, like the Wild Haste Trophy, which is a big Formula Ford event. Yeah. So for, for the next few years, we did indeed have an Ian Soman Trophy, which you know, people might think that was just me sort of with a massive ego thinking I should have a trophy <laughs> named after me. But it was someone else that made the suggestion. Uh, so that was just a bit of fun karting that we did for a few years. And it was quite nice because we did get quite a few pretty decent uh, decent racers yeah. uh, taking part. You know, we've had everyone up to including... British Touring Car Championship races, uh, who wow. went on to be BTCC races. Ant Waterneels, who you might remember from the BTCC a few years ago, he he took part in one or two of them, so that was uh, that was quite good. Um, more recently, actually, we've evolved the idea, and together with Luke Cooper, who's another Formula Ford 1600 racer, uh, we've uh, run a charity karting event down at the Castle Coombe Karting Circuit, which uh, yeah. Luke's uh, Luke's family operates through their drive tech concern. Uh, and every year, apart from last year, for reasons that we know about, uh, we've yes. we've run an event for uh, in aid of Teenage Cancer Trust, uh, and we've raised quite a bit of money for TCT over the past few years, and hopefully we'll be able to do something for them again uh, this year. Again, that's been a good bit of fun. Lots of uh, uh, both drivers from Castle Coombe and the wider area, and uh, yeah, and non-race yeah. including me, embarrassing myself, uh, have, <laughs> have taken part in that. So, yeah, the, the Ian Soman Trophy is no more, but the, the the TCT Charity Karting Challenge has replaced it, and we run that at, at Coombe now. Hopefully, again, we'll get that on later this year. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. Anyway, Ian, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I know we've been we've been talking quite a bit on social media about various racing stuff. Fiat Panda stuff, Toe Arras stuff, all sorts. And it's, it's been a pleasure. Really pleasure. And that's been really good fun talking to you and uh, I hope we'll get the chance to do it again sometime. Yeah, that would be that would be really good. How can people find you on social media? Okay, um, so I am on uh, Twitter at Isoman, which is I-S-O-W-M-A-N. And uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram as well. I think I'm Isoman78 on there. Yeah. Um, but uh, but that's uh, that's how you can find me. Fantastic. And listeners that are interested in me, I don't know why I would, but there we go. You can follow me on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Daniel Carzo Five, and you can follow this podcast on Twitter at Piston Podcast, where there'll be various promotional nonsense and other exciting things like that. So go and follow Ian, me, and the podcast, and subscribe to the podcast as well because it does help climbing the charts and stuff like that. Ian, thank you so much for coming on, and hopefully we can speak soon. Thanks, Daniel. No problem. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Piston Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Just before you go, remember you can follow me on social media at DanielCarzo5 and you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Piston Podcast. See you next time for more interesting car chats.